0: Hey, welcome to the Run the FBC Sermon Podcast. I'm really excited to see that you're seeking the Lord with your time and pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Before you listen, however, I just want to issue out a disclaimer. If at any point during this message you feel like you need to work for God's approval and salvation, stop and instead remember that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Always keep that in mind and you will be ready to receive from the Lord. Today we're going to study a very well-known teaching of Jesus that's often misunderstood. So turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37, this message is entitled, The Good Samaritan. Go to your Bibles, Luke chapter 10, and uh, we're going to look at the parable of the Good Samaritan. So, um, I want to ask you as you're turning there, are you a people pleaser? Are you someone who likes to please other people? I think all of us uh, want to be well-liked. But does meeting this requirement for pleasing people, does that rest at the core of your identity? Um, While it's important to be well-liked by our bosses and uh, to show everyone how agreeable we can be, people pleasers uh, tend to experience a little bit of pushback in that being a people pleaser can actually backfire on us. For example, people pleasers, um, they tend to agree with everybody talked in Sunday school this morning about how we want to be well-liked by everybody, and so sometimes you can agree to things just to be agreeable, and it might not be something that you ought to be doing. In fact, it might even compromise your value. So this idea of wanting to be well-liked by other people can lead you down a path that you actually regret, doing things that are not in your nature, doing things that you were raised better to know not to do, and you end up doing them anyway. Uh, you know a people pleaser when you see one because they consistently have difficulty discerning how they're feeling, and this is why. Because as a people pleaser, we tend to agree with other other people. We we want to be well liked, and because of that, we don't necessarily express our feelings. Oh no, everything's fine, everything's great, everything's wonderful. I I I'm just going to agree with you, and and how are you feeling? Because I'm here for you. Now, what the danger in this is that it can seem very godly. It can seem like spiritual maturity because I'm not focused on me. I'm focused on you and what you have going on. So this is like it's not only a godly quality. This is like a, a virtue that we want to be like. Like we want to we, we want to we want to impress upon others that we are not selfish. We are unselfish. But see, the problem is, is that we're just stuffing down those emotions. And what happens is when we stuff down those emotions and we pretend like everything's great and everything's wonderful, those emotions will surface. We don't have a choice about that. And when those emotions surface, they might surface in a way that we would, we would uh, be embarrassed about or, or that, that in a way that we don't expect. For example, uh, we were doing a, a study on, on children several years ago, and uh, the author of the book says when you yell at a child, the child will find a way to yell back. They might go, yes sir, yes ma'am, they stuff down those emotions, but they will find a way to yield back. And that's what happens to us as adults, that, that um, we might be trying to please people, we stuff down those emotions, and it ended up costing us in the long run. Um, and it might sound like, and, and please understand, it might sound like nobody would ever want to be a people pleaser. But the truth is, is that being a people pleaser can actually make us feel pretty powerful, and here's why. We can begin to believe that we are the source of other people's happiness. In other words, we can do things for other people and make them happy. We feel like we have power over their emotional well-being. And what we're doing there is we're actually playing the role of God. I mean, if you think about it, we're playing the role of God and saying, I I, I can. I have the power to make that person happy or not by the things that I am doing. That That not only does it make us feel powerful, but sometimes, sometimes being a people pleaser can give us a hit of dopamine that we've been looking for, especially when they come to us and they say, I don't know what I'd ever do without you. And we think, man, I, I'm, I'm accomplishing something great, I'm serving them, and I'm helping them, and they can't live without me. But who should they not be able to live without? Right. What happens whenever, whenever... Uh, a person might be having all of their desires met, but they're not right with God. Can they really truly be happy? I think there's type of people that, that actually look for people-pleasers to take advantage of. I mean, that's just... That's me. and I, you know what? From now on, I'm going to stop using the pronoun they when I'm talking about people-pleasers, and I'm going to use the pronoun we because I know I am one. This is something that I struggle with, and I deal with consistently. Like, I want to make people happy. I, I'm compliant in a lot of ways... And what I've discovered as going through counseling, what I've discovered is, is that I don't deal with my emotions very well. I stuff them down, and they end up coming out. So it ends up costing us in the long run, and, and maybe it's for selfish reasons that we're so unselfish. I know that sounds crazy, but it can happen. If we're a people pleasers, it does happen, and that all those things that we have to do for other people to be well-liked, and all those things that we have to do for other people so that we can get by or that they can get by in our minds, that it actually enslaves us with another to-do list. You know what people please are when you see one because they have a never-ending list of things to do. They're never able to rest because here it comes down to the fact that I, I, I really just want to be accepted and I want to be loved. And if, if these people are going to accept me, then... I'm going to have to do something for them. Listen, I know people say the Bible is old and outdated and that it does not relevant in today's culture, but let me tell you something. This issue about being a people pleaser is exactly why the Bible is still relevant today. Because the Bible has so much to say to liberate us from feeling like we have to do these things in order to be accepted. Jesus came to liberate us not only from the consequence of hell, but from the yoke of slavery that comes in the form of a to-do list. We're going to talk about that this morning in the parable of the Good Samaritan. So uh, we're going to actually read this passage. Before we study it, I want to add a little disclaimer. And that this is a very well-known passage, right? I preached on this passage before. Um, and, and this is probably the most well-known teaching of Jesus in the entire world. Because everybody's heard of the Good Samaritan. We name hospitals and organizations after the Good Samaritan. And, and al- almost everybody has this ideal example from this, from this parable uh, that, that we need to follow so, this, this guy and be like this guy. And they think this is the message that Jesus was presenting. That um, you, know, you need to go out and be a good person. And, and, and we need to go above and beyond for people. And that's what Jesus was really communicating. But, but the problem is, is that this remains one of the most misunderstood, misquoted, and misrepresented parables in all the four Gospels. Perhaps the entire Bible. That this is the most misunderstood teaching in all of Scripture. So what we're going to do is we're going to study this this morning. And in order to read this parable correctly, we're going to have to get a little bit of context. So I'm going to do something a little mean to you, and I'm going to ask you to jump back just a little bit more. We're going to read a little bit more scripture this morning. And we're going to start in verse 21, Luke chapter 10. And we're going to, we're going to get some context before we actually jump into this parable. It says, At that very time he rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit. Talking about Jesus. And he said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. That you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent, and you have revealed them to infants. Now, I uh, we talked about the purpose of a parable before. The purpose of a parable was not to better communicate truth
1: but it was in order
0: to hide truth from some and reveal it to others. In fact, Jesus' disciples come to him and they say, why do you talk to the people in parables? And he told them, the reason I speak to them in parables is because the mysteries of the universe and the kingdom of God have been given to you and not to them. Now that might make us a little uncomfortable, the fact that God withholds knowledge from some of us, or even greater still, that Jesus would be thanking the Father. That he reveals this knowledge to some and not to the others. That can make us uncomfortable. But think about this great miracle that God has done in the teachings of the parables. We live in a knowledge-based culture, right? We want to know. And how do you, how do you know things in our culture? Well, you have to read. You have to study. You have to investigate. And I want you to know this. And just think about this for just a second. This, these are not qualities that come naturally to us. You're not born with this innate ability to read and to study and to investigate. Those are learned qualities. And and not only are they learned qualities, this is another sermon for another day, but I just want to say it. Sometimes we go to organizations and places to get knowledge and to get understanding and get this tool that we need. We have to learn how to read. We have to learn how to study. And by the time we get the information that we're looking for, we're already indoctrinated from what these organizations might want to teach us, and they give us their agenda. So like I said, that's a sermon for a different day, but just just take that with you. That this knowledge and information that we're seeking is the way that you know. And think about this. This is what God has done. This isn't a natural thing. He's taken the information from the wise and the learned. To get to know God... You don't have to go to school. You don't have to know how to read. You don't have to study. You don't have to investigate that not only are those not the ways to get God and that he's giving it to the little children, that because you are that way, thinking that this is the way we're going to get to know God, God has taken that information from them, and he's given it to those who had otherwise no way into knowing him. Do you see how beautiful that miracle is that he's taken from the wise and the learned, the experience, the people who you want to emulate to become, and he's given it to the most humble creatures on earth. He's given it to little children. That is the purpose of a parable. And Jesus says in, in Luke chapter 10 verses 23, he's turned to disciples and he said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see, uh, blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. For I say to you that many prophets and kings wish to see the things which you see and do not see them and hear the things which you hear and do not hear them. So what he just told his disciples are, You are the children. You get to hear. You get to see. And in this passage of Scripture, the music changes a little bit because here comes a lawyer. Now, what Jesus had said offended this man, likely. He said it privately, but it seems like this man heard it because he stood up. And this is what it says in verse 25. A lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Now, as we read this, we see this lawyer walk on the scene and truth, like I said, I think the lawyer was already there. I think Jesus offended him and so he had to stand up. But this is not an accident that Luke would include this right after Jesus just thank the Father for taking for the wise and learning it and reveal it to the little children because here is a prime example of someone who was wise and learned. And when we read the word lawyer, we think scum of the earth attorneys that take all of the, you know, the profit and miss, off of misfortune of others. But see, that's not an, a biblical lawyer, which I love that because that's, that's an oxymoron for you. It's a biblical lawyer. A lawyer in Scripture is someone who knew and taught and, and intimately knew the, 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 the law. It's someone who knew God's law. So if this, this, there was not a better case of somebody in all of Scripture who was wise and learned than this man. He was somebody that didn't go somewhere for answers. He was the one who others came to for answers. Oh, well, I understand the law. Every good Jewish boy would be taught the law, but in order to teach the law, well, you had to pass a rigorous set of of trainings and tests. You you were constantly scrutinized by your superior, and with that knowledge, watch what happens here. He comes to Jesus, and I, I think it's a little pretentious how he says this, teacher, so he stood up and he tested him, saying, teacher... What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Did you see what happened there? This lawyer came to Jesus to test him. The same way that his superiors tested him. So he comes to Jesus thinking he's superior to him. And he asks him the question, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? This This lawyer, somebody who intently knew the law and taught it, Although he was so knowledgeable, how is it that he could forget one of the most important aspects of it? As Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, he responds to the devil saying, It is written, you should not put the Lord your God to the test. Where was it written? In the law that this man knew. So, how come he thinks he can get up and put God to the test? Well, it's because he didn't recognize him as God, right? Why did he not recognize him as God? Because he was so wise and learned, and God hadn't revealed it to him. This man came to Jesus with pride, saying, I'm superior here. You need to listen to me. Now, I love Jesus' response. I have a little, a little motto that I try to live my life by. Don't play all your cards. What that essentially means is, is you might have all the information. You don't have to play it all the time. Jesus is cool as a kitten here, man. He is so Cool. I love the way that Jesus responds to this because this is the guy I want to emulate, right? Jesus is asked this question, and Jesus doesn't go, well, actually, let me tell you how you can inherit the kingdom of heaven. Sit down, Junior. What does he say? He says, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Man, it's cool. (laughs) I love that about Jesus. What's written in the law? Do you read it now? Again, we live in a culture that uh, constantly puts scripture under scrutiny, right? We live in a culture that makes us feel foolish for having confidence in the Word of God. Let me tell you, you actually believe in a seven day creation or six day creation like the Bible says? I mean, really, you believe that the the earth is only 6,000 years old like the Bible says? We have listen, we have we have important scientific evidence that says that the earth is millions of years old and that we came from apes i mean you really want to put your confidence and trust in the bible of all things the bible says there was a guy that was swallowed up by a fish and he was digested for three days and he survived you believe that i mean come on you believe in a Lord and a Savior that was born from a virgin? Do you see a problem there? There's a little disconnect there. That this, this book was written by fallible men and that, 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 that they included impossible things? I mean, that's where your faith rests? You really want to trust the Bible? You want to know who had complete trust in Scripture? Jesus. Never once did he question God's word and make it feel like, well, you know, it's old and it's outdated. We live in a culture that says, you know, the Bible says that homosexuality and killing children is wrong, but come on. I mean, it's so old and outdated. Jesus had complete confidence in Scripture. He didn't say to this man, uh, well, you want to know what to do to inherit eternal life? Which, by the way, is a great question to ask. But this man came to him in pride rather than humility. Because of all the things that he knew, he was wise and he was learned. He wasn't a little child. He comes to Jesus and asks this question. And Jesus didn't say, well, what do you think? Or, you know, how, how how um, what does your heart tell you? What, what is it that, 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 that culture would say? He says, what does the word of God say? How do you read? I hope that gives us a little bit of encouragement to believe the Word of God, that our Lord and Savior believed the Word of God, and so that we ought to do the same. So he asked him, he says, how do you read it? Now, that's important, because he was asking this man, like, when you read Scripture, what is it that you see? What is it that you hear? What is it that you read? And so this man, knowing he, notice he, he already knew the answer to the question he was asking. He said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Now notice what Jesus does here. Jesus doesn't say, you got it right on the nose, but you're missing one thing, that you need me to do that, that you can never do that on your own. He says to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you shall live. Did you catch that? Go give that a try, Junior. Go, go, Yeah, go ahead. Now, I think there was some condemnation here. Just a little bit, at least a little bit of, of um, maybe just being con- confrontation. There's a little bit of confrontation here that, that there's something going on beneath the surface here. And this is why I say that. I don't I interject into Scripture, but this is what I believe. I believe this man felt offended by what Jesus said. And the reason why I say that, he says, but wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? You want to know when we try to justify ourselves, when that is? It's when we're caught. When we know that we're caught in our sin, like, wait, 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 listen, listen, there's a reason why I do this. So in this spirit of trying to justify himself, he says to Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? And this is where that parable comes in, right? Let's go ahead and read that parable together. Parable of the Good Samaritan, Luke chapter 10, verses 30 through 37. Jesus replied and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers, and they stripped him and they beat him, and they went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, uh, by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place, and saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, who was on a journey, came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. And he came to him, and he bandaged up his wounds, and he poured poured oil and wine on them, and he put him on his own beast, and he brought him to the inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will return. When I I return, I will repay you. Which of these three men do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers' hands? And he said, Well, the one who showed mercy towards him. And Jesus said to him, Go and do the same. Now, listen problem that we have when we typically read this parable, it's very straightforward, right? This man was on the road, he got robbed and, and three people, other, other people are introduced in this in this passage: a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan. The priest goes and sees him, walks on by. Levite, the same thing. Jesus doesn't say why. He doesn't talk about what his motives are. But I want you to notice some things about this Samaritan. The Samaritan was already going on a journey, right? He was already on his way somewhere. He had somewhere important to be. He stops, and he banishes this man up, puts him on his own beast, takes him somewhere, and pays for his way. I think we can all agree this man went above and beyond the call of service. And I don't know where we would fall in in that category, but see, here is the message we typically take from this. I need to be like the good Samaritan. I need to go above and beyond for other people, and the reality is, is that's not the message that Jesus was at all communicating. It's not at all what he was saying. We said, "Well, what he said go and do the same." He was talking to a man that was so full of pride that he didn't know which way was up. He couldn't see the condition of his own heart. And so as Jesus tells him, go and do the same, it's a pretty much that you're going to go out there and realize that you can never do this. Just think about it for just a second. It's a pretty straightforward story. You see a priest. We don't know why the priest passed by. But we can pretty, pretty securely say that the man who fell among the hands of robbers and thieves, that he was a Jew. Why do we say that? Because he was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he fell among robbers and thieves. They, they stripped him. They left him. They beat him they left him for dead. And by chance had a laugh at that because everything is ordained by God. By chance, a priest was going down the road. Now think what you would think. If you were a Jew, and you see this priest coming towards you, you would think, God, I must have fallen in your great mercy and grace because you are sending your high servant to come and rescue me. And he passes by. We don't know why. We can speculate. The Same thing for the Levite. But then he looks up and he sees the Samaritan. Consider this for just a second, because... I think if we found ourselves in this situation, let me, let, me, let me back up for just a minute. I used to have a, a, a blue Chevy 2009 Colorado. It's right when OnStar was really popular, and I was going down the road one day, and I see a little grass fire on the side of the road, and so I'm like, hmm. And I push that little OnStar button, and I tell them, hey, look, there was a grass fire back there. Well, where was it? Well, it was right where I pushed the button. And she said, okay, thank you, sir. We're going to send out the fire department thank you for being a good Samaritan, is what she said to me. And I went, you're welcome. Well, you're welcome. I, I, you know what? That's exactly what I should have done. I went above and beyond that situation. Whoo! I'm so good. The reality is, is that none of us Well, you know, we might see this guy, We might run over to him because we have that genuine compassion for other people. We're good people, right? We have compassion. Are you all right? Here, I've got a little oil. I've got a a little bandage and and some little wine. I'll I'll pour I'll try to dress that to you. Most of us probably would do that. How many of us would cancel our plans to take care of this guy? Even fewer still. How many of us would be willing to put this guy on on our beast and we walk back to town with this guy in tow? My day's day's just shot. Okay, well, I'll just take care of this guy. Sometimes when we do that, feeling that responsibility, because that's the call, right? I need to be doing these things. We begin to feel ugly inside, right? Like, this guy probably didn't even appreciate this. Man, I hope he sees how above and beyond I am going for him. Because, you know what? Not only do I want to please man, I want to please God. I mean, I want to be who God says I should be, and so let's go. Almost none of us would do that. That we would go and we would have genuine care for this guy. I would wager to say that none of us, not a single one of us would pay this guy's rent. No one on earth would say, whatever this guy needs from now on, It's on me. You see, there's an impossibility to go out and do this. That's why Jesus said to a prideful man, go and do likewise. He was giving a standard of what it truly meant to love your neighbor as yourself because everybody would want somebody to do that for them. But none of us are willing to do that for someone else save one person. Who does this sound like? Here was a man that looks up and sees not just a good guy. He sees his arch enemy walking down the road towards him. And the enemy has compassion upon him. He binds him up. He dresses his wounds. He walks back to town. He pays this man's debt off. And he says forever, in the future, if there's anything this man needs, I will be back and I will repay. Who does that sound like? He's not telling a story about how we should go out and be like this guy. He's telling a story about himself. He's sharing that I am the one who who does this for you. And when we read this story, it's like, we, we just have this list. I mean, like people, they just mistranslate this, misinterpret it, misread this as go out and be a good person. There were such people pleasers in this culture that not only do we do this with other people in order to make ourselves feel powerful, we do the exact same thing with God. I've got to please God. And so in order to please God, I've got to all this list of stuff that I've got to do for him. I'm so busy getting out there working for God. But the reality is, is that two things. Number one, even if we do that, we are so full of pride because at least we are not like the the, the priest and the Levite that walked down the road. That even if we could do that, which we can't, we come to places where we realize that we have not And then, well, man, I guess I just must not be a true follower of Christ. Let me tell you what happens in today's culture, and this is such a popular belief in Scripture. So popular, or sorry, in the church. This is what we believe about Scripture. That we replace the gospel with something else entirely, and most people don't catch the difference. We don't see this. And the reason why is because the more we study about God, the more we learn about Him, the more like Him we become, the, 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 the more knowledge that we have, the more spiritual that we think that we are, the more in danger of walking away from the actual gospel we are. And I'll explain what I mean in that in just a second. What we replace the gospel with is what's called the social gospel. There's this responsibility to do social justice in the world. That if we are truly saved, we ought to be doing these things. Jesus said, we need to go out there and we need to, we need to make sure that we feed the hungry and give water to the thirsty and visit those who are in prison and do this laundry list of all these things. And if you're not doing this then you're not saved. Because true followers of Jesus, well, they are in the social justice movement. Let me tell you something. That is a teaching straight out of the pit of hell that we replace the gospel with the social gospel. The gospel is not complete this laundry list of things to do in order to please God. That's not good news. The good news is, is that we are morally and ethically bankrupt. We are spiritually bankrupt before God. And there is not one thing that we could do, have done, or would ever do to earn currency with God. But Jesus saw us on the road... He came to our rescue. He had compassion upon us. He bound up our wounds. He treated our wounds. He walked us back to town while we were riding his beast. He takes us to the innkeeper. He pays the two denarii. And he says, no matter what this guy does for the rest of his life, it's on me. That is the gospel. That is not a laundry list of things that we have to do to please God. What we do is we say, well, listen, you know, I understand grace. I know how grace works. We think we do. But the more we study about the Bible, the less ignorant we are. See, we have grace and mercy and compassion for people who are ignorant, like little children, right? Right? My, my boys stand up Sunday morning, and you guys put up with them. Thank you so much for doing that, because you know that they're young. And for them to interrupt the service about how they're going to get to go home later and play Xbox, like that, that is not important, but guys, you'll have grace for them. Now, what if I were to stand up and do that every Sunday morning and interrupt your service about how I'm going to get to go home and play Xbox? You'd have less grace for me, wouldn't you? Why? Because I should know better. The more we study about God, the more we learn His word, the less likely we are to give grace to ourselves because I should know better. That even if we go above and beyond, which we don't, but even if we do, we are full of pride, and if we don't, we are so full of guilt because we are such people pleasers that we think that that is what God is looking for. But listen to me, there is nothing you could ever do to please God. Nothing you could do to please God. We need to get away from the social gospel and get back down to the root of the gospel and that is that God is already pleased with us because of what he has done through his son. God looks at you and he says he is pleased. And it's not about ignorance of the law because even those who are ignorant of the law, which anybody can claim that is beyond me, anybody who is ignorant of the law is still condemned because they have rejected the name of the one and only son. But even if we don't have ignorance anymore, that God has revealed these things to us, listen. That's what grace is. It's giving us what we don't deserve. And You know, a lot of us we live in constant fear that we're not pleasing God, and we have just another list of to do, and to do, and to do. But that's what we become. And the reality is, I've said this before. I'll say it again, we need to focus on less on what we need to do for God. And I understand how that sounds, because we don't have a good way to tell people to behave otherwise. We need to focus less on all that laundry list of things to do for God. And we need to focus instead on one thing and one thing only, and that is who God says we are. Let me tell you why. Why is that so important? Why is it so important to focus on who He says I am and not all the things I'm supposed to be doing for Him? Because we have behaviors. And we spend our whole lives working on our behaviors. Like we read the story of the Good Samaritan. Like, man, I ought to be like that. But I know I'm not. So I'm just going to go out there and I'm just I'm going to try to become this. And I realize I'm not that way. And even when I am, I'm prideful. So what do I do? Listen, that's behavior. Don't spend your whole life working on your behavior. Spend some time. I challenge you this week to spend some time on who God says you are. Because what we believe Especially what we believe about ourselves is what leads to behavior. Do you see the point there? Who we are, what we believe about ourselves, leads to those things that we might want to change about ourselves. And listen, it's not about what we're doing. It's about what God is doing through us. Leave behind, abandon this idea that God needs to be pleased He is pleased. That is the gospel. So this morning, I want you to understand if you're in Christ, he's already pleased. But if you're not in Christ, then I would strongly encourage you to just, you know, realize that you're an enemy with God. And if you look up and see, you just look up you'll see that your enemy, Jesus, is right down the road, and he's coming your way. The Lord wants to rescue us from the way that this world breaks us and leaves us for dead. Only Christ does that. We're going to have a time of invitation this morning. Listen, Jesus said... Take my yoke upon you. My burden is light. My yoke is easy. We don't have to live in a church. We don't have to come to a church. We don't have to be a church. It focuses on our behavior all the time because we know when we put our eyes on Christ, Christ works those things out. So this morning, if you just need a place to rest, recognize, okay, you're a people pleaser. But you don't have to earn grace. You're never going to earn grace from God. That's God's gift to you. If you're an enemy with God, come on. Come to Christ. Surrender to Him and let Him take that burden from you of all the things that you have to do. I know there's a lot of seasoned believers in this room. Of course, I consider myself a seasoned believer, but that's because I don't give myself grace very much that I ought to know better. I know what the Bible says, or I think I know what the Bible says. Listen, God has grace for you. Why can't you have grace for yourself? I mean, think about that. You just need a place to rest this morning. I'm going to use the step, steps as an altar to the Lord. If you just want to lay something down and say, God, I'm trusting you. That my debt's paid. Not just now, not just until Thursday, but anything that I need, it's paid for. I need your grace, God. You can say this morning, I'm not a people pleaser. Let'd say yes, you are. You say, no, I'm not. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. If you're not a people pleaser, why do you care what I think about you? Yes, you are. All of us follow this list of requirements because we want to be well liked and well, you know that's important. But I want you guys to know that you are loved. And that is more important than being well-liked. I invite you guys to come to our uh, Passover Seder this week. I promise you, if you will come, it will be a blessing to your heart. You can even look up, maybe for the first time, and see Jesus coming down the road. Thank you, guys. I ask that Larry would pray over our service as we dismiss. God bless you. Y'all have a good week. Well, I hope this message has been an encouragement to you and that you have a renewed purpose and dedication to trust in the Lord and serve Him. Please feel free to download our church app so that you never miss another message by searching FBC Rungi in the Apple App Store or Google Play. We at Rungi First Baptist Church are here to take root, grow, and bear fruit. So if you'd like to join with us in our mission, then let's get out there and bring glory to God.